Well, you know what I think. I'm a Christian. I'm not going to deny that. I do want everyone to feel comfortable. That's why I'd like to talk to you about Jesus. Please do not go religious. Somebody's going to hell over there. He better not. Even the devil will speak the truth for, for his own purposes. This is war. Accept it. Back to Jerusalem podcast. Yeah, I'm back and I'm armed with righteousness. With your host, Eugene Bach. He just seems like he's got it all figured out. He's a righteous dude. Yep. Hello and welcome to another Back to Jerusalem podcast. I'm Eugene Bach, your host for this time, and I'm coming to you live on delay from somewhere within the borders of the Middle East this time. And it might sound like I'm coming to you live from my toilet, but I'm not. There's a there's an acoustic sound right now where I'm at because I'm in the Middle East, right? Most places in the Middle East have buildings that are primarily made out of marble and concrete, which is good for keeping a room cool, but not so great when it comes to acoustics. But this is going to be a podcast that will not take very much time. I just want to say that I was sitting here, I was I was watching a documentary on flat earthers. <laughs> and there's a part of me that wants to laugh. Like, okay, you believe in a flat earth. And my it, this sounds like, you know, maybe you've never met a flat earther. My son is actually friends with a Korean kid in Hong Kong um, that believes that the earth is flat, very intelligent individual and makes a complete rational argument. I'm a pilot. So I, I mean, I have an idea of how things work on the globe when you're flying around, right? For doing navigation. Um, I've also done a lot of dead reckoning. And so I, I, I know the idea of following a magnetic north from different parts of the world. In case you didn't know that, a magnet doesn't actually point to true north. It points to a magnetic field that is found in an iron ore deposit in Canada and depends on where you're at. You have to calculate the GM angle for each location because it's different depending on where you're at on where the north kind of points. So I'm like, that is, and I've always kind of taken it as a joke, like nobody's really a flat earther, right? But there are. And when I listen to them and I hear their arguments, I have to say I'm jealous because nobody thinks they're serious and yet they don't care. They have faith like nobody's business. And I'm like, I wish I had the faith of a flat earther. And it got me to thinking that when it comes to the move of God, if you believe in the majority, like right now, the majority of the world believes that the earth is round. And listening to the flat earthers, I now have a new theory, not on the earth. I believe the earth is round, but I believe that when it comes to God, the majority at least in the Bible, is always wrong. Prove me wrong. I was trying to think of an instance where the majority actually got it right. But in every instance in the Bible where we're seeing that God moves, the majority gets it wrong. This you can be sure of. God does not rule by consensus. He doesn't. He's not democratic. He doesn't take a vote. And he does, he, he does things that are so odd, so strange, so different that you rarely see it coming. 
We, we rarely see God move because we never anticipate. We think we anticipate. That's our problem. We think we anticipate. And then the, the, there's, there's this mass idea of what God can do, what he can't do, what he will do, what he won't do. And then when he does something outside of what we have been taught by the masses, we miss it because the masses are always wrong. To know what God is doing, you have to be willing to bite the bullet and be willing to be hated, laughed at. You have to be willing to be the example for everybody else to use of what not to do. Like you need to be the chicken little. You must be willing to be an example of even Satan himself. I was just thinking about that today, that when the Pharisees accused Jesus, they accused him of being Satan himself, of being a demon. And, and Jesus has to explain to them, if I was a demon, would I be casting out demons? Can I, can I cast out my own kind? You have to be willing to be poor because nobody's going to hire you. Nobody's going to give you money. Nobody's going to follow you. Nobody's going to endorse you. We see that with Christ. That birds have nests, foxes have holes, but the Son of Man has nowhere to lay his head. You must be willing to be uncomfortable. You must be willing to lose everything. Your friends, your job, your wealth, your respect, access to your Facebook account, everything. When you go against the masses, you will be judged. You'll be judged at church. You'll be judged by your Christian friends. You'll be judged by your pastor. And I'm not saying that disagreeing with the majority for the majority's sake or for disagreement's sake. I'm not saying that being a contrarian for the sake of being a contrarian will always make you right. But you're guaranteed not to be right if you're always with the masses. And that's where I believe that prayer comes in. And let me, let me just pause for a second because what is the purpose of prayer? Oftentimes, I think that we think it's to get what we want, right? I mean, how many times do you pray? I mean, honestly, you don't have to say it out loud. Nobody's going to hear you. Nobody's going to judge you. Ask yourself, how often do you pray? And when you do pray, what do you pray about? Usually we pray about, I mean, when I think about my own prayer life, I think, you know, I'm usually praying to get something I want. Praying, you know, I'm, I'm, I pray every meal and I say thanks. Um, I think that we often pray to be, bring comfort. Like if I'm, if I'm praying in open, oftentimes I'm doing it to bring comfort and solace to someone that might have lost something or lost a loved one or somebody is sick. But what is the purpose of prayer? This is the first question because the answer to this question, I believe, lies in the answer to what God's doing. And what God's doing is going to lead you down roads that go against the masses. I would say that most believers believe that the purpose of prayer is to stop praying. And that might seem confusing at first, but if I explain it. I think that we pray because we have been interrupted in our life. And when we are interrupted, we come into a spirit of prayer as Christians that take us back to an uninterrupted life to get us back on track. We spend, and I'm saying we because I'm using myself as an example, 
98 to 99% of our lives not in prayer. And when we do stop to pray, it interrupts our life. And then we pray in a way that we can get back to our life, a life without prayer. You see, I think that most of us Christians are kind of on automatic pilot. Has, has anyone ever asked how your week was going and you look back and you honestly didn't remember your week? You honestly don't remember even one thing about your week. That's your brain on autopilot. You're not dead, so you know that you ate, you just don't remember eating. You're not dead, so you know that you've slept. You just don't remember sleeping. Your kids are alive, so you know that you at least fed them once at some point, but you don't remember feeding them. You ever been there? Yeah, I mean, you weren't fired, right? You're, you're still working at your job, so you must have gone to work at some point. But God didn't interrupt you, and you didn't interrupt God. You were just on autopilot doing what it is that you always do, and because it's so routine, you don't even think about it anymore. It was so uneventful that if you stop to think about how did my week actually go, you don't know. You are on autopilot. Here's the kicker. When we do pray, I think that we're not actually thinking about our prayer most of the time. We often say a few repeated stanzas that sound holy because that's how we were taught but they they don't really have any meaning it's not even how we really talk we pray differently than we talk do you ever notice that here's a prayer dear heavenly father first of all i rarely say heavenly father in any other situation and i speak american modern day english all of a sudden, when I start to pray, I move into this like King James version. Dear Heavenly Father, I come before you right now. What? Instead of, I'm right in front of you right now, I'm saying, I come before you right now. And Father, you know, I keep repeating the Father's name when I'm praying. I'm not saying that this is good or bad. I'm just saying that what if my prayers are on autopilot, not just my life, my prayers. And that when I pray, I pray in a way that I was taught and that my prayers actually have very little thought and a lot more memory. And what I do is I open up the cabinets of my prayer life and I pick out the package that best suits this need for right now. And then I begin to repeat the words in this ceremonial type of chant that invokes, I believe, special forces and powers that will allow me to get what I want in this moment that I have been interrupted in my life. And I would like to get back to an uninterrupted life. I am on autopilot in life and now I'm on autopilot in prayer. And that prayer might sound holy, but it has absolutely zero meaning to me. It's a ceremonial repetition that allows me to have this mental myopia, which means I'm not really thinking about what it is that I'm saying. I mean, I'm giving it some thought, but let me ask this. 
Think about the last time you prayed. Think about the last five times you prayed. What did you pray about? Can you remember the conversation? The words that you said to the Heavenly Father as you prayed? This means I believe that when we do pray, as seldom as it is, we are neither engaging our minds or our hearts. Our mouths are moving, but our hearts and our minds are dead, and we give no thought. And that's sad because our minds are active on so many other things. I mean, we have an active imagination when it comes to movies. I love, for those of you that are connected with us on Ding Dash and follow Bethany on a regular basis, she's pretty active on Ding Dash, though she is still grasshopper status, and I'm gonna rub it in for as long as I can. But I like to talk to her about movies sometimes because there are certain movies that I'm just amazed that she lived such a sheltered life and hasn't seen certain movies. And I feel that without watching these movies, it, you, you are less of a human being. Like you have had less, I almost feel like she's a charity case in some ways, right? Like she's like, like she has not fully experienced life and this poor child is in the deserts somewhere in a third world nation and needs a meal. Like I, I feel like I'm, I'm doing humanity a service by recommending certain movies to her that she's never seen before. And of course, a lot of the movies that I really like came from the 1980s and 90s, and that was before she was born. So I understand that she hasn't seen certain movies. So I'm trying to give her an education in Hollywood cinematography to make her life better. That's a part of my mission in life. But when it comes to movies, we have an active imagination. We become engaged. Our brains in some movies are working. When it comes to ideas, sometimes we sit and gnaw on different ideas, especially if they are a part of our hobby. When it comes to sex, it's a, a, a conversation that many people might be uncomfortable with, and you might not like hearing this in a Christian podcast, and I apologize if you this just popped up out of nowhere with no segue and you got your kids with you in a car and you're taking a road trip. But to be very honest, I think that our imagination is probably quite active when it comes to sex. And in fact, most psychologists say that it, it occupies most of our thinking time, especially if you're a guy. But prayer doesn't. When it comes to prayer, our brains, my brain, sometimes is actively dead. And if you are in that situation where your prayers have no meaning, no thoughts, they don't activate anything in your imagination, they don't engage your brain, they don't engage your heart, they don't engage your soul, it's just something that you do almost like a pagan where you're just saying certain words that allow you to think that you're accessing certain power with, with secret codes like Harry Potter. If you are like that, you're not a bad person. You're a normal Christian. Because this is not just you. This is not just me. I believe that this is almost everyone. And this is why everyone misses God when he moves. This is why you don't follow the masses. What we are after today 
is an extraordinary result of knowing God and what his plans are for our lives if we are to achieve that which is not normal. Our God is extraordinary. And in order to have access to him and understand his will more, we also have to be extraordinary. And we cannot be extraordinary by doing what everyone else is doing. We have to do what everyone else is not doing if we are to see what no one else has seen. And if you are doing something that nobody else is doing, do not be surprised when you're rejected by the people of this world that's doing everything else that everybody else is doing. Not just rejected by the world, but by rejected by Christians who are not able to operate outside of their boundaries that they've set for themselves. We serve an extraordinary God. Do you think he wants ordinary followers? I don't. Our problem with prayer is that we see it as something that we do. I'm telling you that it is something that we shouldn't stop doing. I said this a while ago. I've implemented it into my life. I'm doing it more and more. I'm not perfect with it, but I would say that my goal is to pray all day, every day, as if it is a part of my normal life and that I do everything while talking to God. Does that sound insane? It kind of does, right? I think it sounds insane because oftentimes when we think of prayer, we think of being on your knees, your hands clasped together, but get up off your knees, open your eyes and talk to God. God wants you 24 seven. Talk with him when you're walking, talk with him when you're sleeping, talk with him when you're driving, never stop. Never stop talking to God. Even when I'm talking to other people, I now find myself talking to God. I, I know that that sounds strange, but I'm always now talking to God somewhere in my mind. Even when I'm, when I'm sinning, I feel the weight of that sin upon me. I feel the conviction immediately because my conversation with God is almost like somebody that's with me, somebody that I'm talking to, somebody that's watching me. Talking with God will change the way you act. It will change the way you think. It will change what you believe to be prayer. Never stop praying and it will break you away from the crowd, but it will also make you an extraordinary believer doing extraordinary things in extraordinary times. I'm going to say something that people today don't want to hear because it's not PC. This is going to be something that you might find offensive. Shoot, I'll find it offensive. But I believe that Christians do not want the God of the Bible. I don't. I can honestly say that I've had periods in my life, most of my life, where I did not want the God of the Bible. We don't. 
That, that is the truth. I believe that we want the God of Disney, the God that coddles. I believe that we want the God that hears us when we say things like, I just don't feel like it today. I don't feel like being different. I don't feel like being set apart. I, 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 I want God to be the kind of God that when he sees me struggling and uncomfortable, he says things like, Oh, baby, it'll be okay. Go. Have that pizza. Watch some Cardi B on YouTube. I want the God that allows me to be fat, eating chips every day, that allows me to be lazy. But that's not the God of the Bible. The God of the Bible, in my language, says, hey, you know what? Screw that. Get up. Put your shoes on. Go back to work. You got a war to fight. Get out there and stop complaining. That's the God that I see in the Bible. And, and we don't want that God that demands us to live a life of holiness. Heck no, because it hurts. It's lonely. It sucks. It's not comfortable. Sometimes I hear God in my head, literally, I hear God in my head saying, don't be a punk. Get up don't be a piece of garbage. That's not how we really hear God in most Christian movies, right? You know, people might be like, wait a minute, are, are you saying that you hear God like audibly speaking to you? In some ways, yes. I mean, no, I haven't heard an audible voice per se, but I do hear these voices in the center of my being that says things like, you know what? push it out, suck it up, knock it off. You know why? Because the God of the Bible that I continue to learn about in my prayer and in my daily reading is that God is not some fluffy puppy Justin Bieber poster on your wall. You know, every time that God or his angels ever show up in the Bible, do you know what the first thing is said? If it's God or his angels that show up in the Bible, what's the first thing that they have to say? It's like they have to say it. Don't be afraid. God has to say it every time. The angels of God have to say it every time. You want to know why? Because God has some flex. That's why. He's not your pansy pusher. He's not a chump. He brings the flex. When he shows up, everything is dark and it runs for cover. You and me, we were both born in darkness and his glory is simply too much for us. And we feel the burden of his righteousness and we need to get out of Dodge. Our God is awesome. He, he's, he's, he's not this coddler that we make him out to be. He's not this weak body that we make him out to be. We are all born in darkness. So don't be surprised when your friends that are living in darkness don't like it when you go into the light. Because the light makes those living in darkness become exposed. And in the light, you will lose friends that want to stay in the darkness. Shoot, in the light, you'll lose Christians who want to stay in the darkness. In the light, you'll lose yourself, that part of yourself that wants to stay in the darkness. But it is in the light 
that you will find your purpose. In, in the light, you will lose your popularity, but it's where you're going to find God. You will have to be happy with that and forget about what people say about you. Break away from the crowds. If you want to make a difference for Christ, if, if, <laughs> if you want to do what you believe God is doing, you have to have the faith of a flat earther. Listen, I know that people don't like the language that I use all the time. I know that I use language that, I, for me, it's actually a little too soft. There's a lot of other words that I would rather choose, but because our society has chosen certain words that are not really kosher on our podcast, I try to tone it down, but really, in the end, I don't give a crap. I have to block people out of my head on a daily basis. I get emails and messages from people from all around the world that says, you need to tone down the language, but I don't give a crap. I have to focus on mission. You know what? You don't like my language? Great. Meet me on the mission field. Save your sanctified speeches for someone that cares. Meet me on the front lines of the unreached because that's all that matters. I'm not going to waste my breath arguing with you on Facebook or some chat room or some email on why you quote scriptures to me in the gayest of ways because you think that taking them out of context or making some piss poor point that you have will make me feel bad and change my ways. And it just simply doesn't. You can take those cotton candy ideas back to the, your own mommy because on the mission field, it ain't going to cut it if you're going to be pissing and moaning all the time about language that somebody uses. That's not our biggest problem. Language is not our biggest problem. And I can usually tell who's been on the front lines in the mission field and who hasn't because living the life of a missionary will give you this kind of stone edge where you're not really worried about words and your feelings don't get hurt over words. And you, you know what does hurt feelings of missionaries that have been on the front lines? Whining, religion, whiny religion. That, that is the biggest pet peeve for most of the people that I work with on the front lines. They get, you would not believe the kind of believers that get along. From Catholics to Baptists to Pentecostals, I, there are so many Christians in the West that will not communicate with one another because of a difference in theology, because of a difference in ceremony in, their, in the way that they worship, and a difference in the, in the outlay of the way that they conduct their worship on a Sunday morning or a Saturday morning. It, the, the difference in the way that uh, they, they, they like to give or worship. It will, and, and I understand that everybody has their own focus. That's not what I'm talking about. I'm talking about people that will not connect with each other at all because they believe that somebody else is so theologically broken that they're not going to make it into heaven. Those things go out the window when you come on the mission field. All of a sudden, the only thing that matters is Christ. I see people from Amish to Chinese underground house church come together, serve Christ in a way that really matters. You know what? When I'm reading the Bible, I truly love how gangster Jesus is with the religious leaders of his day. You know that they had the brass 
to tell Jesus how to be the Messiah? I mean, like, I'm reading this, and I'm seeing these religious leaders who are looking the Son of God directly dead in his eyes, and they try to teach him what the Bible says. I'm like, some balls these guys have. Jesus was God in the flesh, and you're going to lecture him on what the Scripture says? He wrote it. So don't be surprised. I only say that to say, don't be surprised when critics try to come and stop you by quoting the Bible to you. They did it to Jesus. The worst thing you can do is argue with them because they're morons and you can't fix a religious moron. People that have a religious spirit and are trying to bind you into a box of religiosity to make you this, this cookie cutter Christian that, that exists culturally outside of the Bible in our modern day age, but actually does not reflect the Jesus of the New Testament is, is a waste of time. And it's meant to be a waste of time. Christians, I would gather in most instances, spend more time arguing with each other than they do trying to reach the world. I'm going to say that again. You cannot fix a religious spirit. Don't argue with it. Just keep going. So when someone tries to tell you that you can't say certain words, when they try to tell you that you have to dress a certain way, when they tell you that you have to speak a certain way, ask yourself this one question. What did Jesus say? If you're doing stupid crap and somebody calls you out on it, then stop it. Knock it off. But if Jesus ain't mad, then forget about it. Tell them to go screw themselves and watch their faces. Watch their reaction. It's the best time you'll ever have. They can't hurt you. That's the great thing about it. There's nothing that they can do that can hurt you. God made you invincible. Do you realize that? Do you realize that God made you invincible? If you are in the will of God, you are invincible. That's your special power. And there ain't nothing no one can do to hurt you. They can't take away your freedom because they didn't give you your freedom. They can't take away your wealth because your treasures aren't in this world. They can't take away your life because your soul will be with God for eternity. So take your best shot, dude. You can't hurt me. If it feels good, in my opinion, it feels freeing. You feel freed. You break free of the masses. And that's good because when it comes to God, the masses are always wrong. Mark Aurelius, Marcus Aurelius, the great Roman leader, said this. The object of life is not to be on the side of the majority, but to escape finding oneself in the ranks of the insane. Siding with the majority, guys, is lazy. Siding with the majority is cowardly. Siding with the majority never led man to salvation. John chapter 6, verse 66. I, I quote it all the time. It's the only time in the New Testament that we see the verse 666. It's, it's when Jesus had thousands of disciples following after him. When, when people ask how many disciples did Jesus have, 12 is not the right answer. That's how, much he ended, that's how many he ended up with. Actually, 11. 
But Jesus had thousands of disciples. But when he started talking crazy talk, drinking my blood, eating my flesh, there were a bunch of people that was like, whoa, put the brakes on. Something is not right with that Kool-Aid. And the majority left. The minority stayed. If you follow the crowds, do not surprised, be surprised when you get to the end of your life and realize that you've wasted everything for nothing. A life following the crowds is a life wasted and a voice drowned. Tim Tebow, sports guy. I'm not a sports guy. I know Tim Tebow because he was a missionary and I don't know him, know him. I know of him because he was a missionary in the Philippines or he comes from a missionary family and became this huge football star. Tim Tebow said this, and I think that it is absolutely perfect for this. You and I were created by God to be so much more than normal. Following the crowd is not a winning approach to life. It's the end in the end. It's a loser's game because we never become who God created us to be by trying to be like everyone else. God, give me the faith of a flat earther. The faith to be different, to be laughed at, to be thought of as stupid, to be used as an example by parents around the world telling their children what not to be. May we have that faith and that ability to stand against the crowds, not for the sake of standing against the crowds, but to follow you and what you want for our lives, regardless of what the majority thinks. I want to thank you so much for joining us for another Back to Jerusalem podcast. Again, I'm Eugene Bacher, host for this time, coming to you live on delay from somewhere within the borders of the Middle East. God bless you.